welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. The following interview is designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be. Your host, Derek Champagne, is the founder and CEO of The Artist Evolution, a full-service agency building successful brands, marketing tools, and campaigns, and also the author of the best-selling book, Don't Buy a Duck. And now, let's begin today's Leadership Series interview. Welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where our goal is to inspire you to become the best leader that you can be. I'm excited today, NBA champion of the Chicago Bulls. 93 team, I have to mention this, former New York Nick, one of my, my favorite teams growing up, one of the earliest three-point specialists and season leader and champion for youth education, athletics, and well-being and philanthropy, uh, Trent Tucker. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I know this is phenomena going around with uh, the la- with last dance right now, but I, I would love to start and talk about you. Uh, you 11 years in the NBA, a leader in what you do. This is the business leadership series, uh, and we focus on exceptional leadership and learning from lessons in life and who better to learn from than somebody that's done it. And I'd love to hear for a few minutes about you and just some highlights from you growing up to, to getting into the NBA, just some things that stand out to you. You know, growing up as a kid in Flint, Michigan, you know, I had the great fortunes of having a mother and father in the household you know, who was able to kind of put me on the right track mentally and steer me down the right road to make sure that I was always trying to do the right things. And for most young people today, you know, trying to do the right thing, I think is the key because they're going to make some mistakes along the way. But outside of my initial family, my mother and father and my three older brothers, the community was all was always there to support us as well. And I think when, when you're able to have you know, community community members who are who are willing to give of their time and sacrifice to allow young people, you know, to see life differently, sense of hope, you know, that the future can be bright. You know, I was very, very fortunate to thank all those people along the way to give me a chance to be successful. Yeah, I love that. T- tell me about some of the highlights with you uh, when you found out as you continue to excel in sports and you I mean, you went as number six in the draft is incredible. Tell me about that feeling. I mean, you, you're amazing. You're great. But then to get that accolade and then going into the next level, what was that feeling like? Do you remember that? You know, in, in high school, uh, you know, the competition in basketball in Flint was, was very, very tough. And I had, you know, good coaches who taught me the fundamentals. And as I continued to grow as a basketball player, you know, I had to I had to find other people who had become successful, you know, in the game that I love so much. And to reach out, you know, to some of the guys that I was coach, to figure out, you know, what did I need to do as a young person to put myself in a position one day, maybe to play basketball at level. Then I was able to go on from Flint to the University of Minnesota to play college basketball for four years on the gym Dutch. It is hard work, dedicated. You know, making sure that you pay attention to details, try to avoid some of the things that can take you off track. But for me, I believe the most important thing was to surround myself with people who thought like me. And mm-hmm. and by being in, in that environment, it always kept you on the right track. Uh, my teammates were great. We had a very good basketball team in my senior year. And like I mentioned before, there are so many people who want to play a critical role in your success. And I just thank all of those people who were there along the way to make 
Yeah, thanks for sharing that, and I appreciate your perspective. You played on on one of the, the, my favorite times in the Knicks, and and uh, you've got a, a rule named after you, the Trent Tucker rule. I love. I want to know what your thoughts are on that. <laughs> well, you know, it was the first year, nineteen ninety, that they had gone to tens of seconds on the game clock and the shot clock, right. and we were playing the Chicago Bulls on MLK Day in Madison Square Garden, and the game was tied one hundred six one hundred six, and it was a tenth of a second left. Our head coach, Drew Jackson, was calling up a play. And the play was designed for Patrick Ewing, you know, to go to the front of the ring for a lob. And I was was going to be used as a decoy, you know, to go from one side of the court to the other to bring my man with, with me to empty out the back side. But my guy who was guarding me was Michael Jordan. He read the play, being the smart player that he was, so he took away option number one. We didn't have a second option to go to because there was enough time to get to Wow. And I think Mark Jackson was up against the five-second count. So I went along the baseline, up the sideline, and he gave me a little slip pass. I turned and shot the ball as quickly as I could. The ball goes in. The, you know, now it, the rule has changed. It has to be three-tenths or more. But on that day, it gave our team a chance to win the game. Yeah. What was that feeling like? It was a great feeling because you could just feel the energy of that day inside the Madison Square Garden. You know that you were in a moment, not only to bring some success uh, to yourself as a player, but also to bring that, that success to the team as well. I, I remember that time. I remember when that happened. Ewing, Oakley, Strickland, Jackson, you out on the court. How awesome is that? What a, what a cool experience. Let's. Uh, I want to talk for a few minutes about uh, – about the last dance phenomena as as to why do you think it's been so big other than quarantine and people are have more time which that can't hurt right but there's more competition too with everything out there why is that doing so well well it's for one you know uh you know people are at home and we are looking for something in the sports world you know to gravitate to but anytime you have uh, an individual like michael jordan People, all, people will always gravitate because of, of what he has become, you know, the iconic figure, you know, throughout his, his NBA days. But for me, I like what this, what this documentary is doing. It's given the fans and the American people for the first time, I believe, to take a look on the inside of how a professional basketball team operates and the things they go through on a daily basis. When you think about a championship team, you, you believe that things are going smoothly every day. But now you have a chance to see there are trials and you know, jealousies and egos can play a huge part uh, on a daily basis. Some players who believe that they are doing more, but they don't get enough credit. And some of those things can, be, can begin to tear a team structure down. But the difference between a good team and a great team with all the noise and all the chaos, the great teams are able to put those distractions to the side, especially when it comes playoff time, to thank team and put everybody first and move on to another championship. Yeah, there's so many amazing life lessons there. And we focus a lot on business and, and the individuals that help make or break an organization. It's no different here. It's really hard. We want credit for things, especially at the level that you're doing it, where you get to the to the top of your game at the highest level in, that you can in your business or in, in your organization, it, it is hard to put your ego aside. How, how are egos managed? I understand for the greater good, but is there, who's painting that vision? How do you come together with that many 
rightfully so egos who are that work that hard and train that hard have gotten to where they've gotten. And you know, you on that, on the championship team as well. How do you do that? What's it, what is a secret sauce in there where you can put things aside? Well, for one, you have to have a great leader who understands how to manage personalities. Right. And Phil Jackson, you know, was, was a great leader for us because he understood, you know, how to put people in certain situations where they could be successful. I think the open line of communication, you know, between, you know, the players and the head coach, between the leader and the staff has to be there. And when you know that you're able to sit down and have open conversations with the guy who's in charge, it, it helps. It puts people now at ease. It, it lets them know that the guy who's in charge, he cares about us, not just as employees, but also as people. And he is going to do everything within his power to put us in a situation when so the company or the team. But also you have to have different types of leaders on the team as well. And guys who have been around for multiple years who can help make the young guys grow as well. And that was one of my roles on the Chicago Bulls when I got there was to help, you know, young guys who was trying to navigate and figure out what this NBA life is all about. And I was there to help them make uh, through those crises. Yeah, it's an incredible time. I've got so many questions for you. But I was curious coming in. So you 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 had a year with the Spurs, and you come to the Bulls, who already have been have had a championship. What was it like, or was there any different mindset when you came into a, a championship team? Did that team feel different to you? Was there something different in that organization when you came in? Just what was your impression when you came from the, from the outside in, and were suddenly a part of this different team? But the most important thing for me first was that to get them to trust me as a teammate. Hmm. And to come in from the outside, being an adversary for so many years, you have to earn that trust and let them know that now I'm here to play for the Chicago Bulls. And once I was able to earn that, then I was in a position where now I could find my way, figure out you know, how could I best help this team. And Phil Jackson would put me in situations now where, where I I could do that. And, but you you get up close on a daily basis to see the best player and see how he operates and functions every day. And things that, you know, he's willing to do to put himself in a situation to be the best. And it's challenging because the pressure is there now, you know, to be at your best every single day. When 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 the fans' eyes are watching you, you know, 24-7, expectations are high. Now you're playing with the greatest player to ever play, you know, the game. You ask yourself, you know, do I have what's on the inside to live up to that? You know, you know, will I be able to be that in another piece of the puzzle to help this team on the championship? And you really don't know how to answer all those questions until you get there. Wow, that's incredible. You mentioned the best player to play the game. Did you know Michael Jordan's a friend of yours? You were a teammate of his as well. Did you know at the time? Did, did, did your team, did the teammates at the time think that's the best player ever? You know, in his third year, I was still playing for the Knicks. And it was our home opener. And we had, we played the Chicago Bulls. And back then, you know, the game was a lot more physical, where you could push and grab and hot right. guys out of the air. And there were no flagrant fouls. Guys weren't thrown out of the game for, you know, for being rough and tough. And with all of the physical play that we gave him during that, he was still able to score 50 points in a, in a close win for the Chicago Bulls. And I walked off the floor, and some of the reporters who came into the locker room, and they asked the question, 
you know, your thoughts on Michael Jordan's performance. And the first thing I said was that I've seen and played against some of the greatest players that ever played basketball. Dr. J, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. I said, but I haven't seen anyone better than the guy that I played against tonight. Uh, on that night, it, it, it led me to believe that Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player. Wow. That, that's super exciting. I mean, you've, you've had such a great career. Uh, how fun the names you're naming are, are all legends and, and they've held up, obviously still hold up when you name, when you name who they are, you know, I'm curious about, about Jordan. I know we know how talented he is, but what percentage raw? Cause you, we see, especially in the, in the last dance, like his work ethic, like forget the parties. I want to go to sleep so I can, of course the gambling and all that fun stuff we just saw. Great. Uh, but so such a work ethic and such a competitive spirit. What percentage do you think is just raw talent? Because many people are given talent, don't do anything with it. And what percentage is that unwavering drive to be absolutely the best and never, I mean, what, what percentage did you see? You, you knew him well. Well, you see a lot of guys who have the raw talent and the raw talent can only take you so far. But if you don't have the work ethic, you're not able to achieve to achieve the things that you should be able to achieve with that raw talent. You know, Michael Jordan had the combination the great raw talent, but he had the, he had the right work because he wanted to be the best. He, he was driven to put in the work every single day to put himself in the conversation of some of the greatest players of all time. One day I ask him a question, you know, you you go on the road and, and you might see this one time. And, and why are you so focused on making sure that you go out and, and be at your best? He said, because this might be the only time that he get to see me perform this year. And I want to make sure that if this is the only time they're going to see me, they're going to see Michael Jordan at his best. He was a showman, too, then. Yeah. But he also wanted to make sure that, you know, that when the fans came to pay their money, you know, for the entertainment factor, that Michael Jordan wanted to give them a show. And he wanted them, you know, to walk away saying, wow, we saw something special. And that was a responsibility that he, he enjoyed. And, and he felt like that it was his responsibility, like you just mentioned, you know, to come out and give an honest effort every single day. You know, he didn't worry about the fame and the fortune. You know, Michael Jordan just wanted to play basketball. He just wanted to go out and be one of the guys. You know, he just happened to be the greatest basketball player of all time and all the stuff that came with it. It's amazing in this show, I like how they spotlight it, but it's amazing that he was able to keep his focus on the court with all the circus that was happening every second before and after. Did you see a lot of that circus? Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's amazing when you are on a team that is that good and playing with a player who is that great. You know, all the attention is there. Uh, the fanfare, you know, the expectation on a nightly basis to, to be at your best. And the question becomes, you know, how can you deal with all of this pressure every single day? But to be a part of a championship team, you have to be prepared to handle the pressure because people are expecting you to do great things night in. And you want to be able to live up to that. And that's why you have to put in the work on a daily basis to make sure that you are doing the things, you know, from a skill standpoint to make sure that your craft is in the right place. Yeah, I love that lesson. 
Uh, so another, just a couple more references. Jerry Krause, is he a villain or is he misunderstood? Uh, could be a common, could be a common <laughs> Did you, did you work with him at all? Did you interact with him very much? I did, you yeah. know, back in, back in 1989, you know, we, when I was playing for the Knicks, we lost to the Chicago Bulls in the Eastern Conference semifinal in six games. And that was the first year where players could become unrestricted free agents. And I was a part of that first group of unrestricted free agents. And free agency conversations could take place on July 1st. So June 30th at 11.59, when the clock went to 12, it became July 1. And that's when uh, free agents could have conversations with different teams. The Chicago Bulls back in 1989 was the first team to call me. And Jerry Cross was willing to offer me at that time a four-year deal. But I decided that I had been in New York my entire career. And we were very, very close as a team. I felt like that we were right there to take the next step. So I decided to go back to New York for three more years. And then four years, four years, four years later, I found myself in Chicago anyway. But you know, Jerry Cross, Jerry Cross was a guy that understood basketball. He knew how to put the right pieces together. He saw the uh, the true greatness of Phil Jackson when he was coaching uh, the Albany Patrons in the CBA. He brought him to the team assistant coach. And when he felt like that, Doug Collins could no longer get the team, you know, past, you know, past the Eastern Conference semifinal. They were looking for something new. And Phil Jackson was the right guy with the way that he thought about basketball could bring everybody together get this team over the hump. Wow. So a couple more questions for you. One is, you know, I'm really impressed. Of course, being from Arkansas, I know all about Pippen. Was always proud of Pippen out there. Uh, he was proud of his Arkansas roots, and it's part of his story. Uh, and it's a great story. What was it like working with Pippen? For me, from a leadership style, I see somebody that is a supporting role. It's someone that you dream of. It's like the COO. I'm a COO of a company. It's like the COO that doesn't get all the credit, but it's all behind the scenes, helping implement the vision, working hard, uh, not maybe getting the same pay or the same credit. Th that's my impression, especially after watching The Last Dance. I'm like, wow, that would be a great supporting role person right there uh, and a rock star, a rock star. But what what was what did you know? Scotty's a friend of yours. He's done some some uh, uh, golf tournaments and others with you, a teammate. What tell us something about Pippen with you, your experience with him, and, and what it was like on the team with him. You know, he always thought about you know team first. I felt like there were moments throughout his career, especially when Michael retired the first time, that Scotty Pippen to me was the best player in basketball. I knew in '94, Akeem Olajuwon was the MVP of the league. You know, but Scotty Pippen was right there knocking on the door. And to, you know, and to, and to take a step back, you know, to, you know, to allow the best player to have space to be the best. And knowing that you are very, very critical in it takes a certain mindset to do that. And, and Scotty Pippen has the right mindset to fit into that, into that situation. I, you know, I've been around a lot of leaders. You obviously have. Um, it takes it. It's a very small percentage of people that are be willing that are that can be that good, know they're that good, and have that confidence level because they're they're proving it every day on what they do, and be able to step aside from getting of being considered the best and and not going to another team. You see a lot of trading happening now. Uh, un unbelievable lesson there for me to see somebody that has that mindset uh, and is willing to be a supporting role. 
Well, and, and for any team or company to be successful, you have to have members who are willing to sacrifice for the betterment of it. And all the things you just mentioned, you know, you could, you could gain more accolades, you know, you could make more money, you could get uh, more recognition from the media. But at the end of the day, it has to be about what are we trying to accomplish business or as a team? And are we willing to sacrifice some of our ego to be a piece of the puzzle? And when you have guys who are able to think that's one, and if you have to get it done along with the worth ethic, you're going to stay on top for multiple years. And that's what the Chicago Bulls were able to do. Many players thought that, hey, I can go somewhere else and do this or do that. I might have some individual success, but there is nothing greater than team success. And when I was lucky enough to be a part of that team, what a wonderful ride it was. Yeah, incredible. Uh, you, you've won a championship. You've, you've been very successful in, in, your, in your line of work at the highest level, how, how great that must feel. I'm curious, so it could be a small moment or a big moment, but what is, what is your fondest memory or your proudest accomplishment? I would think that, you know, after basketball was over, I went into the nonprofit world and I started a nonprofit that was targeted to working with, you know, middle school kids and, and, and uh, promoting early awareness. And when you go into some of these, um, I would say, uh, low income neighborhood, inner city environments where there are some kids that have lost all hope and they don't see a future for themselves and they believe that no one cares. And during that time when I was able to do my celebrity golf tournaments, a lot of the guys who I played with, they would come and support. And Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Pat Jordan, BJ Armstrong, just to name a few and so many others, they came every single year to support me. And they, and they believed in what I was doing because they knew that if they could play a small part in giving a young person a sense of hope, you know, that's why they were here. And after about six or seven years after working with the school kids, and all of a sudden to see some of these kids who stayed on track. And one Sunday afternoon, I was able to go to a college graduate graduate ceremony and see some of those kids walk across the state and get their I love that. To me, that was that has been perhaps, you know, the, the biggest thrill of my life is to see that. Along the way, when I was a young person, someone was there for me, you know, to give me a chance to be successful. And I always asked them, I said, how can I pay you guys for what you did for me and some of the other guys who came along during that time? And they said, just pass on the knowledge. If you're ever in a situation that you have just pass on the knowledge. And I was just thankful that basketball, you know, gave me a chance to be in that position you know, to allow others to come along with me to give somebody else a chance as well. I love that. Thank you so much for that message. And also it's a testament to who you are and the relationships that you've built uh, over the years that, that you've brought those people back and Jordan and, and Pippen and, all, and Ewing and all the others uh, that believe in what you're doing and come to help. I, I really love that. Hey, just an, another question, you know, Michelle Hall, we've had her on our show a couple of times. Love what she's doing with Encourage Kids. You and I have a mutual friend, MJ. It's how, how we connected. Um, today's Giving Tuesday. Uh, just curious, what, 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 
uh, Encourage Kids means to you and some of the things that you're doing with them right now? Well, you know, she's doing a wonderful job. And, and anytime you're in a position to help young people and to put them in a situation where they can be successful, but also, as I mentioned before, giving them a sense of hope and letting them that, that things can be different. And there are people out there who do believe in them. But along the way, when the hope and, and the help is coming, you know, you have to be willing to meet them. Uh, they can't do all the work for you. At some point in time, you have to be willing to put in your 50% to complete, to, to, to complete this puzzle. If there's any organization out there that is, that is willing to, if I get to know you, you can always count me. Mm. Trent, any, any final things you want to share with us? You know, I'm working with a nonprofit here in Minneapolis now called the, the Hunger Impact Partners. And, and, what, and what we do is that uh, we are a data-driven uh, company where we go out and we have a mobile app called uh, Free Kids, Free Meals for Kids. And what this whole app is about is, is allowing families, you know, to identify during, during this time with the, with the pandemic where food is being served in their communities. And if they have iPhone, you know, they can, they, can, they can download this app and just type in their address and location. And that will lead them to, you know, a place where food is being served throughout the day, you know, seven days a week. Love that. That's that's the Hunger Impact Partners, and then it's the uh, Free Meals for Kids app. Yes, I uh have. -huh. Trent, it's a pleasure to have you on today. I appreciate your spirit. I appreciate you sharing your story and your time. And I look forward to seeing the next great things that you're doing. And I thank you for what you're doing to help these kids as well. You've been listening to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. This interview was designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be.